But now I'm a Lutheran and a Lutheran preacher to boot. So I have no choice. I have no choice at all but to agree with Martin Luther that we Lutherans abide by our understanding that Scripture stands alone. The Scripture is first and last. Scripture is the rule and the norm of our faith. But then, if I'm perfectly honest, I have to admit that I hate it. I actually hate it when Scripture tells me what to do. <laughs> when Scripture tells me how to live. When Scripture tells me what's right and what's wrong. But especially, oh especially, when Scripture tells me how to straighten up and fly right. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do. I want to do that which pleases me. I want to do that which satisfies me. I want to do that which makes me happy. And as if that were not bad enough, I hate it when Scripture then tells me how I am to feel. Take this example from Paul's letter that we read this morning to the Philippians. Paul says, there we are, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The problem is, I don't always feel like rejoicing. I'm 75 years old. I ache when I get out of bed in the mornings. I have more doctors these days than I have hot meals. <laughs> Nobody seems to listen to me anymore. And if the psalmist is right, that 70 is the sum of our years, or 80 if we are strong, then pretty soon I'll be taking that one-way trip to historic Oakwood Cemetery. <laughs> and above all, I've waited all these years to reach that point in my life where I have earned the right to be a grouchy old man. <laughs> That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. That's who I am. So this wannabe grouchy old man says, bar humbug to all this rejoicing stuff. And yet, here is Paul tugging on my sleeve this morning, not only telling me to rejoice, but to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Does that mean rejoicing even when things are not going well in our lives? Does that mean rejoicing when I'm given texts today that I don't really want to preach on? Does that mean rejoicing when you're suffering in prison as Paul was when he wrote this letter? Rejoice always. But it's been said that we Christians don't know how to rejoice very well. One of the parishes I served in Pennsylvania, we had an artist come in and paint a mural on the wall of our education wing. The mural pictured Jesus holding children in his arms with his head thrown back, laughing out loud, laughing at the delight of the scene of youthful chaos that lived all around him. But one person in the congregation took exception and offense at the painting, maintaining that it was unseemly for Jesus to be portrayed in such a manner and unbefitting of his role as Lord 
and Savior. How sad it is when Jesus is reduced to some sort of machine who comes to simply complete a function called salvation rather than the God who came to live his life in fullness among us, indeed rejoicing in those he had come to save. And how sad it is that we tend to be solemn about our faith too often instead of being filled with joy over the great gifts that God has given us. It reminds me of that famous advertisement in the paper which read, wanted someone to work in the home five days a week with good pay. Requirements, a Christian, cheerful if possible. <laughs> Let that one sink in for a second. <laughs> rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice. The truth is that the joy with which Paul speaks has nothing to do, nothing at all to do with the circumstances of our lives. Trials and tests are a part of our everyday life. And difficulties will always be present in one form or the other. In such situations, some people blame God. They ask, why me, O Lord? They ask, what have I done to deserve this? God, of course, doesn't answer questions such as this because God does not give an explanation for his actions. But what we do know, what we know with absolute certainty is that God is good about keeping his promises. Especially his promise to turn our mourning into gladness and our sorrow into joy. And it is surely the certainty of that promise which allows Paul and Silas to pray and sing while in prison. Beaten, bruised and blooded. We read that they nevertheless turn to prayer and song at midnight. Now, praying in such a situation is obviously understandable. But to sing a song, to sing a song of rejoicing, may sound a little strange. Until we remember, that is, that it was Jesus himself who sings the song with his disciples as they gather in that upper room before leaving for Gethsemane where he would be arrested and tried and eventually executed. Rejoice always. Perhaps the problem is that we confuse happiness and joy. If things are going well, people are happy. If things are not going well, and I know this as a parish pastor, then people are unhappy. But Christian joy, Christian joy does not depend upon outside factors, but rather it depends upon the inner life of our soul. Our happiness may depend upon what happens in our life around us, but our true joy, our true joy depends upon the presence of Christ in our lives and the deep and abiding peace that only he can give. If we have that presence of Christ in our lives, then the external things of this life will not affect us. The question then becomes, how do we find such joy? Well, first I believe we must never learn to take for granted the wondrous truth 
about Jesus Christ. For in Christ, our sins are forgiven, as we heard this morning in the beginning of this service. Our past, however shameful it is, has been washed away by the blood that was shed by Christ on our behalf. Knowing this truth, knowing this truth and speaking about it often will surely bring us to know what it means to be a forgiven sinner, a restored child of God, one in whom the peace of Christ rests. For joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit and it is the natural outgrowth of living our lives in Christ. In that list of the Spirit's gifts, joy can be found between love and peace. If we understand, if we truly understand and accept that we are forgiven, then surely, surely we cannot help but rejoice. And joy also comes from a life of service. I'm always moved by how many people respond to those made homeless by the fires and floods that have struck our country over the past few years. But it's especially moving when such people speak of the joy they find in such service in helping others. I look at a man like Jimmy Carter, not for his politics, not because he was the president, but who he is in the last few years, how his work for hum Habitat for Humanity, how his work to eradicate disease in our world, how his tireless efforts for peace throughout the world, are the ways in which he lived out his faith, following Jesus in a life of doing good, all with that joy-filled sense of mission and always, always with a big smile on his face. After all, Jesus came to be the servant Lord of all, the one who came not to be ministered to, but to minister to others. So whether famous, like Jimmy Carter, or unknown like those tireless volunteers, such persons give, them to give themselves to serving others. Such service may be a chosen profession, or it may be a simple act of kindness like bringing food to the people at North Rawley Ministries. But whatever it is, whatever it is, it is done in service in the name of the Lord. And in that service, we can find real joy in our lives. And finally, real joy in our lives comes from knowing that this place, this time, this very existence is only a passing thing. And that our real joy comes from knowing Christ and from being with Christ for all eternity. When I attend a funeral these days and at 75, I attend more funerals than I do other services. I'm reminded always of this simple yet profound truth. That when our baptismal promises are fulfilled at the time of our death, and we come into the presence of Christ, and we find that our past is forgiven, that we are filled with God's presence, and that our future is certain because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In the midst of the darkness and despair which afflicts us because of the trials and tribulations of life. In the midst of the uncertainty and fear which shakes our communities because of the madness of pandemics 
or the randomness of natural disasters, or in the midst of pain and suffering, which can visit us in the form of sickness and in death. We Christians, we Christians can walk in real joy because we have the promise that to walk in the light of Christ leads us to our home, to that place where there is no darkness and there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no sickness, there is no death. For God has done away with all of those things. And what has this got to do with you at this community of faith called St. Philip? Well, my sisters and brothers, if we remember that we are first and foremost a child of God through our baptism, forgiven and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then we can have great joy in ourselves. But there's an even greater joy when we share the joy that we have within us with others outside. Surely one of the greatest gifts that we can offer the world is the great joy of the good news, forgiveness and reconciliation through Christ Jesus our Lord. And since in our baptisms we were called into a life of service, surely this common ministry to which we have all been called should be one that is filled with joy. A joy which we cannot keep to ourselves, but which we are called to share, to share with all those who desperately need to hear this good news in a world which is riven with discord and strife. They need to hear the good news that we have to bring them. They need to hear the good news that there is joy in life in Christ. And we, his servants, have been called to bring that. Which brings us to the final joy. Knowing that our home is in heaven. I know it sounds strange, but I've often said to the congregations I've ministered to over the years of my ministry, that frankly, I don't care much about your life here. If you're sick, I'll visit you. If you're in need, I'll talk with you. But my job is not to be your psychologist. My job is not to be your physician. My job is to prepare you for your death. My job is to prepare you to face Jesus Christ and to share in the joy of eternal life with him. For we preach nothing less than this promise which lies before us, the promise of eternal life. What greater gift is there than to share this great joy-filled promise? It will not always be easy. Paul knew that. But in spite of all, Paul proclaims to all of God's people that in forgiveness, in service, in hope, there is always joy. So let it be known today. Let it be known from this wannabe grouchy old man. Let it be known that I stand before you to proclaim this word of Holy Scripture which calls for us to do nothing less, nothing less than to rejoice always. Again and again and again I say to you, rejoice for the Lord Jesus has given us life. Rejoice, for we have a home with him for all eternity. Rejoice, for we've been called into mission and service. Rejoice, 
for Christ is our Savior. And the people of God will say, Amen.